how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Last time we spoke with Eric Newman in episode 162, we discussed his work on Dawn of the Dead, Children of Men, In Time, Robocop, and Hemlock Grove. This time we break down his fascination with the world of Narcos. The new series, Narcos Mexico, stars Diego Luna and Scoop McNary. It focuses on the rise of the Guadalajara cartel as an American DEA agent learns the danger of targeting Narcos in Mexico. In this interview, Newman discusses bad guys versus very bad guys, self-preservation versus self-elevation in character, why his favorite character is Pacho Herrera, and why he should be empathetic to monsters. If you enjoyed this interview, look for the print version on Creative Screenwriting's website, and join millions of viewers for the new YouTube video essay series, also called Creative Principles. I had had uh, the idea after hearing a story and I want to say 1997, which is a horrifying idea that I've been that unpro unproductive uh, in my career. I, in 97, I heard this story about a, uh, a very small piece of what became Narcos. Um, actually a, a story that I, that I covered in season three of the, the Colombian uh, Narcos Um but I remember hearing this sort of amazing story about this war that I, I didn't know was going on uh, in South America. Um, and, and I started then to be, sort of began this process of developing it into a movie. At some point, after getting into business with Netflix, I realized for a variety of reasons uh, that it would be a better television program than a film. Um, and I started putting together this this team of people that that ended up being Jose Padilla and and myself and a guy called Chris Brancato uh, and Carlo Bernard and Doug Myra who were writing partners and and screenwriters at the time, and we embarked on this I would say ill-advised, ill-informed 
poorly planned <laughs> endeavor to go make a TV show in a, in Columbia. And we did. And I, uh, you know, I had been a film producer for most of my career and probably a, a frustrated writer or, or perhaps just a, a, a very lazy writer. Um, and I started writing the show, uh, because I was so into it. And, uh, by the end of the first season, I had become the showrunner of the show, um, and stayed there for the last five years, which has been the hardest and, and best job I've ever had. What are some of the ways that you talk about um, world building in a show like this in relation to character? Everything, ideally, everything stems from character. Um, I've had a pretty clear point of view about what I wanted to say about good and evil. Uh, I believe, I don't, I don't believe in the idea of good guys and bad guys. I, I, I probably tend more towards bad guys and very bad guys. I think that the human condition uh, doesn't allow for the truly good. Uh, obviously, the humans and people do good things, but the the programming of of the evolutionary programming of self preservation, and in some cases self elevation, uh, is is so hardwired that people will will often overlook the the morality of things that they do in service of uh, of being more being better in some cases surviving and the the world itself the world of latin american drug cartels is so linked and intermixed with the world of of American drug users uh, and and governments that either willfully or or ignorantly or willful, willfully ignorantly uh, uh, look the other way when it comes to uh, drugs. People find ways of of explaining it away, and that was always something that was present uh, in in all of my thinking about the world. The the thing that we had the most fun thinking about uh, as a group was sort of the 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 fantasy of this this world the 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 life or death aspect of it it really is a a real game of thrones uh and and the stakes couldn't be higher um there's a lot of beauty to the to this world you know the world of, of colombia and mexico and there's a lot of ugliness and misery. Um, and for us, fortunately, uh, we, we had authenticity. That we had reality to guide us. We didn't have to make up things. We had to maybe explain them in some cases, and, and we had to connect them occasionally, narratively. But it, it all is there. And it was all, you know, the, the world was easy to build because the world already exists when you're planning characters for like for Norcos mexico are you thinking more long term like let's say you've got a slow burn character that's going to maybe become worse or maybe become good to some degree how far ahead are you usually thinking is it just season to season with maybe some notes for the future or what's that what does that look like in the writer's room well well sometimes uh and i think this is my favorite thing 
that we can do in, in television and you can't do it in movies. You can spend enough time to get to know someone in a way that you might overlook some of the horrible things that they do. Uh, I would say my favorite character is probably Pacho Herrera, who uh, was the um, the only out gay uh, narco that I've come across. Um, and he was one of the four leaders of the Cali cartel. And he was a character that was introduced as something of a, of a uh, well, very much as an adversary to Pablo Escobar, who at the time in season two, um, and I believe Pablo uh, Pacho shows up, I believe, in, in season one, he was a, a character that you, he, Pablo Escobar was a character that you liked. You, you obviously knew he was not a, a, a good person, but you liked him. And Pacho Herrera was an adversary who, by season three, I, I think he'd become something of a fan favorite. Uh, and we see that shift uh, again and again in television where, you know, in a two-hour film, if a character blows up an airplane, uh, he, he's the bad guy. There's no – you can't redeem him in two hours. That's a, that's a James Bond villain, and, and he better die at the end. In a television show – we see Pablo Escobar blow up a, tr- a plane and two episodes later, we see him with his, his children or with a bunny rabbit or alone and the world uh, lined up against him. And we feel uh, sympathy for him. And so I would say that that is often what drives us when we, when we create and, and build these characters, can we take a character from beloved to loathed or from loathed to beloved? Can we change someone's mind about a character they meet? Uh, and, and with all the preconceived notions that go into these uh, narco stories that we've, and versions of which we've, we've all seen and, you know, Michael Corleone being sort of the, perhaps the greatest of all, where you meet him in the beginning of the Godfather saga and he's, doesn't want anything to do with the family business. He is a straight arrow who is on a great path. And by the end, he has crossed over into, into sociopathy. He's, you know, murders his brother. He, um, he casts out his wife and, you know, he has sort of rejected the, the whole idea of, of, of whoever he, he was pretending to be in the beginning. And that works over, uh, you know, the six hours that are Godfather one and two, very hard to do in one in one film. So that's something that I would say more than anything guides the design of these characters. Who are they going to become? And and particularly with history to guide us, we know what Chapo Guzman became. We know what Amado Carrillo Fuentes became. We know what Pablo Escobar became, um, and they were all. Uh, corrupted by the, not just the power, but by the efforts to bring them down, uh, and, and by the, the, the perfidity of the governments and the, and the, and law enforcement and the, the betrayal of, of public trust that is all around down in the, in that part of the world and, and in this part of the world, frankly. 
if you're doing research, maybe on one of like a minor character, not maybe not Pablo, but someone else like amongst him, what are some of the steps you take beyond the research? So, like, let's say the research is mostly just like facts, not really like opinion or anything really about him, about this you know fictional character. Where do you kind of begin with that? Like, do you just see like full liberty to service the story, or do you feel like he needs to be a certain type of person? I would say the challenge uh, is always to knowing what they did, trying to explain, never excuse, but trying to explain why they did it. I, I'm a firm believer that, that that truly evil people don't know they're evil. They've they've come up with a, a justification for what they're doing. And we've been able to, you know, we get pretty creative about the, the justification, but it always feels close to truth. Everything we know about megalomania, everything we know about um, sociopathy, uh, there, is, there is always a, you know, someone always plays either victim or, or hero in their own story. And, and that's true of pick your monster. They, they can always lay out a case why they're the good guy in all of this. And it's actually the Americans or the drug market or the Colombian government or the Mexican police. And it's, and that was a, that often guided us. Obviously, we we didn't get the benefit uh, of of speaking to these people. Most of them are dead or in prison. The few narcos that I did speak to, I found sort of frustrating because everyone has an angle. Everyone has something that they're selling. Uh, every every busted narco has some story that 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 says that they weren't half as bad as they were made out to be. And that may be true, but rather than focus on that being the outward reality, we were much more interested in, in the, in the inner reality, the, 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 the world that they had constructed in their own minds. And we were able to talk to a lot of law enforcement, a lot of former lawyers of narcos and, and uh, accountants and people like that who could offer an interesting uh, perspective, uh, certainly, although one now in the safety of, of knowing that their former employer is or client is dead. Um, and so they, you know, would speak perhaps even more freely than they, they, they should have. I, 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 I tended not to believe a lot of it. The thing about this, these stories, you've never met a group of people more full of shit than cops, politicians, lawyers, and journalists and who, who touch these stories. Now, the journalists are the best of the bunch because they, they got into it for no other reason but, but to tell the truth. It's not true of all of them, but I would say most of them. Um, but their truth was at, at this point, rightfully so, uh, run through the prism of conspiracies and and government uh, and corruption and and uh, and um, backroom deals and 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 also tremendous perils. So many of them were killed 
um, that there's a, an anger there for sure, understandably. So, you know, you have to kind of pick your, uh, the, the the most human version of the story that rings the truest, um, and I and I like to think that we 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 did. Um, it wasn't always easy, and obviously, you know, you have to, you know, be alone with these people sometimes, and and try to get in their head, and and uh, it was a occasionally a dark place to be. What, so you mentioned, you, you know, you kind of carry the story with you for a long time and it, it changed over time. What has kind of changed in addition to you, you know, fell in love with it in terms of writing? Like, has that changed your perspective on writing anymore? Are you, are you, are you writing more? Or are you planning to write more and those kind of things? It's my favorite part of the job. I think that as a, you know, when you're a movie producer, you're a facilitator for the dreams and visions of others. Um, and I think that's also true when you're a film writer because you're you're really working for a director. Um, television and and writing television has been, and it's not even close, the most creatively fulfilling job I've ever had. Uh, I, I I love it. And so, uh, the more time that I can spend uh, writing, and and even though the outcome is not up to me. I don't, I can't, you know, certainly can't guarantee that something's going to get made or even, you know, be appreciated. But, and this is something that I've, I'd heard as a right, as a, you know, sort of burgeoning writer and, and always made, had always been interested in it, but just had maybe been too scared to try it or had had too much success as a film producer to have to face the, the blank page, so to speak. But I think that the truest thing that's ever been said to me is that the reward of writing is in the work. Is at the end of the day, if you wrote something that you like, if you read it and and you're like, oh, I like that. That's good. That's a good. That's a good moment. I remember I, you know, I wrote um, this scene in season three where where Pacha Herrera dances uh, with a man. And then, you know, and, and you're, you, you're watching this sort of incredibly, I mean, this is the most, you know, it's one of the most homophobic cultures on earth on steroids because it's the drug business, you know, business. And they're watching the, this man kiss, you know, dance and kiss another man. And they can't do anything about it because he's a boss. And, and it's this sort of great power play. And I was so happy when I wrote it. And it turned out great. And Andy Bice, who's our director, shot it in an amazing way. But I remember, you know, closing my, my laptop after writing that going, you know what, this is a, this is a good day. And if I have more of those days than the days where I think everything I've done is shit, I'm pretty happy. And that's, and that's a, that's truly other than my children um, and my wife, uh, the greatest gift I think that's been bestowed on me in the last 10 years is, that feeling that, you know, when you've written something and you're like, wow, this is good. I like this. And, and again, it might, someone else might read it and think it's crap. And the next day you might read it and think it's crap. But in that one moment, the, the victory that that feeling is just, it's worth all the money in the world, all the awards in the world, all the, uh, the outward acclaim is, is, is meaningless in the face of that. So, that's a pretty. That's what I've learned, and it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty big thing in my book. 
you know, coming in as a writer, maybe with producers' eyes, that kind of thing, what are some pros and cons of that? Are you able to turn that mindset off to not, you know, think about budget as you're writing something? Or how, how do you, how has it helped you and how has it hurt you, maybe? Um, I, I think it's largely helped. Um, I'm trying to think of where it's hurt me. Um, I definitely, I mean, when you're a showrunner, showrunners are a really hard job. In fact, I don't know how people do it if they don't have some knowledge of production, what can be done, what can't be done, but perhaps even bigger than that. And this is where I think I got, I got very lucky. You know, I've, I've, I was a movie producer for 20 some odd years before I, I, I really got into television and I'm, I was very, I'm very good at managing people, the sort of psychology of, of artists. And, and talented, complicated, overpaid people. Um, and that is a big part, not only of running a production, but also of running a writer's room. And, and I, I could go on and on about, you know, and, and I, could, I could speak at great length about any given day walking into my writer's room and saying, okay, he, he's in a bad mood and she's upset about this thing that happened yesterday. And, you know, she's in a great mood because everybody liked her outline and, you know, I'm beginning to lose that guy. And, and to be able to sort of, it's a little bit like war looking at a battle at the 360 degrees of a battlefield um, where you can't do that. If you're, you know, just a writer, it's too hard. You have to have, you know, a lot of times, you know, the, the, that, the, the sort of myopic nature, which, by the way, makes for phenomenal writers, you know, way far better than I will ever be. But, but it's limiting in terms of what you can see and manage and stay in front of and get ahead of. And it, it also prevents you from having to surrender some part of what you're doing to people who speak a language that you don't speak. And, and so I, I'm able to, with my line producer, with the studio, with the network, with the directors, I'm able to, to have any conversation on any subject relating to the making of a, of a, a, a TV show, including, you know, the actor that's putting out cigarette butts on the carpet of his hotel room and they'd like, they want him out or the insurance claim because a stunt man you know, was, was, you know, didn't wear a helmet as he was turning the bike around to begin a stunt and, you know, fell off, whatever the, you know, the fact that we're, you know, we're, we're behind because of, you know, who knows what, uh, the fact that they changed our location at the last minute or the animal wrangler brought the wrong cat. So all of those things are things that, that I know how to do. Where they help me in the writing of it all is I can write my way. I can see something coming and write my way out of it at any time. It's a little bit like taking the wheel. Um, and, and, I, and I feel, you know, the, our goal creatively is always to stay in control of the car. Um, and having been in the front seat for a long time as a producer, occasionally in the back seat, um, I, I very much liked that I could look at something and say, I know what it needs to be, and I know why we can't shoot this, that, or the other, and I can actually affect the change. I'm sure 
you know, in, in this all this time you've been working, you've read hundreds or thousands of screenplays. Is there something tangible that separates like a good draft versus a great draft? For me, yes, and and I and I I try to articulate it, and I'll try again. I never seem to, I never seem to be able to do so successfully. But but I believe that when I was seventeen years old, I'm I'm forty nine right now. So when I was seventeen, I saw Die Hard in the movie theater, and I live in I grew up in Los Angeles, and I grew I saw it in Westwood, and uh, and it changed my life. Because Die Hard, and Die Hard's not the greatest movie ever made, not by a long shot, stretch. It's not even in my top, you know, 20. Maybe it's just about in my top 20. But what was so special about Die Hard was it was the first time that I understood that a movie is not about its plot. That if you asked me, I was going to, if I, you know, on, you saw me the Sunday after I saw Die Hard, I would tell you, you said, what's it about? I said, it's about these terrorists. They take over a building. There's a guy and he's, you know, it's played by Bruce Willis. And, he, and I tell you the story. But if you said, no, no, Eric, what's it really about? I would say, well, it's about a guy whose wife, it's guy, about a guy who's been left behind, about a guy whose wife moved west with his kids and left him you know, behind in the Stone Age, basically, a, a New York, you know, knuckle-dragging cop. She's not using his last name anymore. She's not, you know, she's, she's competing and winning in a world that he doesn't even understand. But what the movie is about is when the shit goes down, when none of these other fancy Rolex silk suit-wearing guys can, can, can handle it, he can't. And what it's about is it's the, the reaffirmation of his role in, in, in her life and in the family. And it's a very kind of, you know, male, you know, post ERA uh, idea and not one that I immediately <laughs> subscribe to, but I understood theme. I understood what it's really about. And for me, what I look for in a script is that, like, what's it really about? What are we, what's it, and not so much the message of it. I don't even think it's a message because I think you can find, you know, uh, whether it's taken, you know, which was very much about a, a father who has been replaced in his daughter's life or, you know, go some, into something even, you know, uh, deeper, you know, the, 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 you know, whether themes of, of absolute power corrupting absolutely or, you know, or the madness of war that we see in, you know, Full Metal Jacket and Paths of Glory and, you know, and Bridge on the River Kwai. Um, you know, the, the great, the, you know, the brilliance of, of, of uh, the Wild Bunch, where a group of guys who have spent the whole movie showing you what they're willing to kill for and who find their meaning in the end when they find something worth dying for, which is their, they got everything they wanted. And here they got, it's that reconciliation of what I want versus what I need. And, and, the, and, and if the character doesn't figure it out, it's a tragedy, and that happens all the time. But if they do figure it out, and they realize, in the case of Rocky Balboa, that he doesn't need to win the fight. He just needs to show everyone that he can hang in there and do it. And he does. And it's like, that's the greatest, probably the greatest sports movie ever made, and the guy doesn't win. I mean, so... You know, Rudy, one of the great sports movies, the guy plays for 30 seconds. 
You know, so that that to me is the when you step back at it and and, and step back and look at it, and you think about like, okay, you know, when I read something and I was like, and I'm like, what's this about? Like, I remember I can name the scripts in my life that I've read as specs, where I was like, wow, one of them is Sixth Sense. I read that and I was like, holy crap! Like, and I got it completely. I understood what it was about, why you know that that he was the guy that needed to to work out his shit before he moved on you know that that and you know they're they they come around um not that often because for the most part i think people are you know they're they're looking at the sharpness of the uh, of the dialogue they're looking at the you know what's the action like how active is the hero you know raiders of the lost ark i'm sorry by the way i can go on and on about this because i'm just, i love it so much raiders of, raiders of the lost ark by the way you know raiders of the lost ark that movie ends the exact same way, whether, whether Indiana Jones is in it or not, like they open the box and they all get killed. So the, but the fact that, you know, that, that ending, that thing where, you know, that where, when they're pushing that, that crate down, you know, into the government warehouse and you know, it's like that, you know, that, that sort of, if you, if you mess with, you know, with power, you know, perfect metaphor for new, for the nuclear age, you mess with the power that you can't control. It's going to consume you. And what are we going to do? Well, we're going to actually hang on to it because we might need it someday. You know, we've learned nothing, you know, so, and, and that to me is, is, you know, my, my favorite uh, thing about stories. And, and when it comes across in a, in a script, I'll tell you, you know, one of the best scripts I ever read was, is a weird one. One of the best scripts I ever read became a a movie that I don't want to say was bad, um, but but the script was spectacular. Which was it was like a Hal Ashby movie. It was called Fifty First uh, Kisses, and it became Fifty First Dates, the Adam Sandler movie. And I remember I tried to buy it, and Sony got it. And, and, and this is like '99 or something. But it was such a perfect. Uh, it was it, you know it, it it's how we are gluttons in our in our relationships and how we seek to, for that one fleeting moment of joy, we would, we would basically live in a, in a, an endless cycle of, you know, of suffering. It was, I, I felt that way about the, the uh, eternal sunshine as well. Anyway. Is, is that only, so when you read The Sixth Sense or, or some of these scripts, is that literally only, you know, hidden amongst the, the story plot, the part? Is that only like hidden within the story that you have to read, you know, most of it to get it? Or is that logically like in a pitch meeting or a treatment, or is it kind of baked in? You know, I think that I would ask a writer what their intent was uh, sometimes, but I think, I think, you know, every well-drawn character, in my opinion, uh, in one way or another could be incredibly subtle. You know what they're, what they're looking for. Um, and you may, if you're paying attention, notice that why they might not get it. You know, Tootsie being one of the great scripts ever written, you know, a guy who just can't get out of his own way and, and refuses to accept the fact that he's not an asshole. You know, he just can't get it. It's like, no, no, I'm, I'm a better actor than everybody else. And in fact, I'm so good that I'll play a woman better than a woman plays a woman. And that's, and that therein is his problem. You know, it's the thing that's actually limited him. And, you know, or Shampoo, you know, which is a, a, a phenomenal script. You know, it's probably Robert Town, I think, wrote Shampoo. But, you know, where a guy who 
seems to have everything you would want. He's got all the girls, and he's got nothing. And he ends up at the end of that movie on Mulholland Drive, having been played by everybody. You know, Mad Men was was you know the great one of the great pilots ever because you you're led along with this guy who's leading this incredibly sexy life in New York. And he's got, you know, the girls and the, the, he looks great and he's drinking martinis and smoking cigarettes. And at the end of the pilot, he goes home to the suburbs and he's married and he has kids. And you're like, Oh my God, how is this going to work? And that being very much a, the, the on theme for what that show is, the reconciliation of, you know, the American dream that they're selling and the American reality. And I think for me, you know, if, if, if in the beginning of a script, knowing that I like someone and that I'm with them, and even if I don't like them, like them, I at least understand them. And then that moment, you know, at the end of the first act, when I realize, wow, okay, this is gonna, this is gonna be harder than, than, than they think. And, you know, I think there's no, you know, the great thing about, you know, conventions of, of, of drama and storytelling exist for a reason, but the fact that they exist also allows you to subvert them um, here and there. But, you know, I think you ultimately, you, you like anything else, you kind of have to judge something when it's finished. You know, you've, when, you've, when you've read it, watched it, or heard it in its entirety. But definitely the, 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 the trick of, of keeping someone's interest is, you know what, I'm, I'm interested enough in this guy that I want to see what happens to him or her. I want to see if she figures it out, uh, you know, I, or maybe I want to see her crash and burn. It's going to be fun. Um, but I think, you know, the, 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 the hook, you can have a hook and never have a theme that happens all the time, probably more often than not. But for me, the, the, the my appreciation for the, the thematics underneath a great story uh, are, are uh, uh, to me, everything. And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles. And give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.